Hey guys, it's Ed and I'm coming to you live from the Drunk Gossip Studios here in New York City. And it has been quite the day. Um, so, one of the things that is kind of going on is um, I've finally set my Camp Nano Rymo project. For those of you that don't know, Camp Nano Rymo is kind of like a spin-off of National no- Novel <laughs> It's a spin-off of National Novel Writing Month. And what what this all pertains to basically is um you write a book in 30 days. Um with Camp Nano it's kind of like a little bit more chill and it doesn't have to be 50,000 words. Um it can be any word count you want. You can revise, which I'm trying to um convince Will to do. Um, you can write a script or whatever you want. So I'm writing a, a sequel to, um, Crazy Rich Homos, which was my November project. And it's going to be called Crazy Witch Weddings. And, you know, that's, that's what it is. And speaking of sequels to gay books, there is one... Coming for um, Call Me By Your Name. And it's called Find Me. And basically, it's going to follow Elio, Elio's father, and... Um, uh, Oliver. As they all, you know, navigate their life. And this is set very distantly in the future. And, um, so the, the storyline seems like it's really cool. Um, Elio's father is divorced and starts having an affair with someone. And Elio himself has a consequential affair. Or, yeah, Elio has a consequential affair and Oliver thinks about moving his sons over to Europe. And this is all very good. Like, the the book is actually very, very good. I read it. Um, If you haven't, go buy it. I promise you, you will love it. And, um, but all of the talk of a sequel had been focused on the movie. Everyone thought that there was going to, this was going to turn out to be like a trilogy. And it still could, but Army Hammer says not so fast. In fact, he says, I, if we do make a second one, I think we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. I'm not sure that it was ever really definitely going to happen. People just seemed excited about it. That we were like, oh, yeah, fuck it, we'll do it. Sure. It's not real until it is. And here's the thing. Indie movies very rarely get sequels. I don't know why, um, but when they do, the sequels are always terrible. I mean, the sequels generally are terrible, but for some reason, the indie sequels are just... I think Blair Witch, you know, I think there was like three sequels plus a reboot, and none of them ever captured the zeitgeist the way the original one did. Part of that reason is... It was 
a fresh take. People hadn't seen things like this before. And, you know, it was able to start a lot of conversation. So, yeah, I mean, I'm all for the sequel to the book because I, the books are always better. But I don't know that we really need a sequel to Call Me By Your Name. I think it was what it was. Um, and I'm not sure how you build upon what you already did. I don't know that we care enough about the characters. In the book, yeah. Like, I'm dying to read the book because the book was perfection. But in the movie, you know, other than seeing Army Hammer's ass, I don't really know that it justifies a sequel. But I'm justified in saying I'm going to go and I'll be right back. And I'm back. And this is breaking just now. Um, and, and this is a little ironic because Will and I were actually just at Grand Central Station. Um, like, I was there not even a half hour ago. Um, because Will and I were, we had writing group and then we were walking back to um, to the train. Anyway, Harvey Weinstein was there meeting with a PI. Um... And although the group that he was with denied knowing him, it was later confirmed that, yes, Harvey Weinstein was there. Here's what page six had to say. The spy told us, I hardly recognize Weinstein. He looked like he's aged 15 years. He wasn't walking well. Harvey stopped at the bar with a group of guys, walked away to another table to make a phone call, and then rejoined them. I couldn't hear what they were talking about, but they were fawning over him. So, okay, there's nothing newsworthy really about this. Um, he's, Harvey Weinstein's facing a bunch of allegations of sexual abuse and assault. And he's, he's doing what he, he always has done. And that's investigating and finding ways to discredit the accusers. That's what he does. That's what he's known for. And that's how he was able to keep it secret for so long. But this becomes newsworthy when um, the one of the PIs, Herman Weisberg, was a former NYPD detective. Um, he runs a new agency called Sage Intelligence. And they they made a they um, set up a meeting. Um, but here's where it gets interesting. I'm not quite sure why, um, this part happened. Um, page six reached out, um, to the, to the group. They called one of them a lawyer. And he called the reporter a cunt and said that, um, page six could be bought before making threats of reprisals, including saying... Before you do this, think carefully, carefully about who you are and who we are. And, and then he hung up. So, essentially, this is very Trumpian. 
you know, don't report anything we don't want you to report. Don't say anything we don't want you to say. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself in trouble. And anyone who thinks this is okay has, I don't want to say has something wrong with them, but they have something wrong with them. I mean, let's be clear here. The whole point of the First Amendment, the freedom of the press, is so that the press can do this sort of work. You know, page six is not the New York Times. It's not hardcore investigative journalism. And while people do take them seriously, there's no reason to threaten. But in the times that we're living in, it has become the norm. It has become okay for people to threaten the press. It has become standard issue for certain segments of the population to target and kill the press because Trump has made the news media the enemy of the people. And don't come at me with, well, no, they did that themselves. No, all they did is their jobs. That's all this page six reporter was doing was her job. Attempting to gather the facts of a story that would have been a non-story. The biggest part of this story would have been that Harvey Weinstein was seen in public for the first time in forever. Outside of court appearances. That would have been the thrust of the story had they not added the element of threatening a reporter. And even threatening the reporter, they're not going, it's not going to blow up into a big story because, again, it's commonplace now. It has become okay to threaten people based on the fact that they're doing their job. They're gathering facts and reporting them. And this is what the minority of people voted for. They voted for violence against anyone who doesn't look like them, act like them, have sex like them, or who is just trying to do their job and report a story. And I think we really need to think about if that's how we want to continue for the next four years. And I need to think about taking a break and coming right back. And I'm back. So yesterday we brought you the story that Wendy Williams is living in a sober house. And, you know, we all applauded her courage. And now we're finding out more and more about what's really happening in her life. So according to Crazy Days and Nights, her husband Kevin has another mistress knocked up and is basically flaunting his affair in her face at this point. Um, and also according to, to Crazy Days and Nights, um, there's supposed to be a big divorce announcement coming sometime in the next month or so. And Wendy is hoping to sit down with Oprah to make it and be interviewed by her and whatnot. And you can kind of see the stage being set for that with the 
um, with the hotline being set up and then her confession that she's staying in a sober house. Um, Winnie's a very, very smart woman. I've said this all along. She's very smart. She's very calculating. So, look for her to breadcrumb her way to this. And I think that's what she's doing. She's, um, when she was seen at the CVS, um, in Florida a, a little while back, um... And, um, you know, just, just the little things that she does. And, you know, and one of the things I really need to say is, Auntie Lawyer in, from Crazy Days and Nights has been spot on with everything he said about Wendy Williams up to this point. So, yes, I am putting full faith in this. He... His source is has to be someone very close, if not Wendy Williams herself. And and the reason why I say that is because he is it's not like he doesn't know people. He does. Um allegedly he's friends with Shannon Doherty, um Gina Rodriguez, um, from Jane the Virgin. So yeah, I I would say Wendy Williams is probably not outside the realm of of possibility um and a source told page six this which is really interesting given what we're talking about no one thinks it's the right place for wendy she seems so frail and vulnerable it's frightening just how completely under kevin's control wendy is but she won't hear a word against him those those close to her are terrified something awful is going to happen she comes to the set looking terrible. All right. So here is here's the thing. This that came from page six, like I said. And but nothing gets out that Wendy doesn't want out. She wanted that source to tell them that, and you can. T- you can tell me no, 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 no. But Wendy has always had one of the tightest sets around. She knows her crew. She's, she's worked, I think, with the same crew for at least 10 years. So, if she's saying it, if, if this works is saying something, it's because Wendy has approved it. Wendy knows what's being said. Again, Wendy is so image conscious. I think she's starting to drop little hints that the marriage is not good, that the mar- that there's something wrong. Um, again, there was a, um, something in Crazy Days and Nights a while back that said that Wendy and her mother-in-law were the ones behind the National Enquirer story saying that Kevin was beating her. So it it almost seems like what she's trying to do here is breadcrumb her way just to see how the public would react to her getting a divorce. And it seems very strange to me because, you know, I would just break up and whatever. 
if people don't like it, fuck them. They're not living my life. But, not everyone's me, and obviously I'm, I'm very odd. So, I can see, like, where Wendy is testing the waters, so to speak, and just waiting for the next crest. And I'm going to go, and I will be right back. And I'm back. So all week we've been doing drunk writing segments. Um, and I guess we're going to be doing a drunk writing episode on Sunday. So, yay. Um, uh, but yes, in the last episode, or the last segment, depending on when you're listening to this, I mentioned um, Harlan Coben. So I actually met Harlan. He's a wonderful man. Great, terrific writer. Um, I met him at a Writing Digest conference. He was one of the keynote speakers. And at the time, I didn't know who he was. Um, They kept espousing that he was a New York Times bestseller. And I was like, hmm, yeah, okay. Never heard of him, but New York Times bestseller. Uh, And then I, I researched him. And he is indeed a New York Times bestseller. I believe one or two of his books, possibly more, but I I think there's two, at least two of them that actually did hit number one. Um, he has a show on Netflix. I believe it's called The Five. Um, and then I believe he has an overall deal with Netflix to create TV shows and whatnot. He... He's just a phenomenal writer. Um, I, I've read a couple of his books now at this point. Um, and part of the advice he gave to us was, first of all, to write every day. Which seems like a no-brainer. But the second piece of advice, and the, this is the advice that stuck with me, is if, if while you're writing an idea pops into your head, throw it into the story. Even if it makes no sense, even if it's like dinosaurs running around and you're you're writing a contemporary romance, throw it in and let it bake because you don't know what you're gonna get out of it. And in a rough draft, anything goes. And so I'm writing this short mystery. Um, I'm not gonna tell you too much about it because it's being sent out for publication. But I'm writing a short, um, a short mystery story, and I keep, I kept getting stuck. Like I knew what the climax was. I knew what the ending was. But I, just the build up to get there, I could not figure it out. And I, you know, I was very frustrated. And Will, Will talked me through a little bit of it. Um. My friend Natalie talked me through some of it. But talking about it and actually feeling confident and comfortable enough to write the story are two very different things. Um, Eventually, um, I had a breakthrough and I wrote a lot of, a, a big chunk of the story. Um, in the span of 
just over an hour, I went from 1,700 words to 3,800. So, and it's a 4,000 word story. Um, so just some inspiration helped. Um, pacing helped, and I have a rule. And it, it's very much along the lines of the Harlan Cohen um, advice. I break my story into s- different segments. In this case, it was a 4,000 word story, a 4,000 word maximum story. Um, so every 400 words, I try to put in a twist. Or something that really, that propels the action. And every 800 words, I try to have a big twist. It doesn't always work like that, of course, because that's not how writing works. But, when you... Um, when you do it like that, it really helps to keep things moving along. And so, and that's really what I've tried to do. Um, it doesn't always work out that way. Um, I, I write a lot of shorter flash fiction pieces, um, for a contest on writing.com called The Writer's Cramp. And in that, I always break down my... Um, that's a thousand word maximum. So I always break down my twist, um, every 250 words. Because, again, that helps keep the story moving and it, like, sets you up to, and pushes you over the little hump that you sometimes crash into. Um, and so earlier, I mentioned Camp Nano. And um, I'm writing a sequel to um, Crazy Rich Homos, which is my parody of... Well, it started out as a parody of um, Crazy Rich Asians and then kind of morphed into its own little rom-com, erotica-type story. Um, And so this... If I was following the same thing that he did, this would have been where one of my characters discovered she's actually... Um, that the main character is actually rich, but it's not following that. It's actually following the um, pattern of a relationship. So, in the first book, they finally become official. In the second book, Crazy Rich Weddings, they're getting married. At the, in the third book, um, they're going to have a baby. I know spoilers, <laughs> but I, I've always kind of had, ever since I decided that this was what I was going to do, um, I've always had kind of the arcs planned out, but I also need to remember that since this is for National Novel Writing Month, even if it is a more lenient version of that, I need to... Um, I, I need to have enough subplots and enough crazy twists to keep 
the story moving along at a nice little pace. And speaking of keeping things moving at a nice pace, I should go before I bore you too much and I'll be right back. And I'm back. So, the view, um, we're learning so much, so much shit about what went what behind the, uh, what went on behind the scenes over there. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm just completely amazed. Um, none of it is truly shocking. Um, there were some things like the Rosie O'Donnell, um, revelation that she had been molested by her father. Like, yeah, okay, we probably could have assumed that. But, um, it was the first time she talked about it. Well, Jenny McCarthy is, is starting to talk about her time on The View. And it is not a happy situation. Um, this, I'm just going to read this quote to start us off. You know the movie Mommy Dearest? I remember watching... I remember as a child watching that movie and going, Holy cow, I've never seen a woman yell like that before until I worked with Barbara Walters. Now... Barbara seems to be at the center of a lot of um, unpleasantness and unhappiness. Um, There are... There are tales and tales and tales. Her and Kathy Griffin's feud um, is just one example. If you guys don't know, Kathy Griffin um, was uh, was a guest co-host one night, or one day, and somehow they started talking about sex. It was the view. Uh, it happens. Um, and Barbara Walters, this was in a pre-production meeting, and Barbara Walters said something about using KY jelly for lube. Now, anyone who knows Kathy Griffin knows the woman's not going to keep a secret. She's going to talk about this. So Kathy Griffin went out and, you know, added it to her act, and Barbara Walters was pissed. She was pissed. And Kathy actually got banned from the show for a very long time. Um, so, back in 2003, Well, the the very first time that um, Jane McCarthy realized that something wasn't quite right with Barbara Walters was in 2007. Um, she was on the show to promote her book, Louder Than Words, A Mother's Journey in Healing Autism. And um, Barbara Walters had an issue with saying healing because... There obviously is no cure for autism. And Jane McCarthy says, my knees were shaking. I remember my whole body shaking. Okay, so, you know, it's okay. But autism, a lot of people know autism actually touched Barbara Walters' life. So maybe give the woman a break there. 
But Jenny McCarthy says that that's not the only thing that happened. She said... Um, she got in trouble for her anti-vaccine stance. And which she now backtracks and says, I consider myself to be pro-vaccine, but pro-safe vaccine. And then... And then suddenly, Jenny, and I don't know if these are just the art of the way the articles are written, or, but then she starts talking about a time when, um, like Barbara Walters would inspect her clothes, and if, if the clothes didn't match hers or complement hers, she would make Jenny McCarthy change, allegedly. She says, Barbara would check out what I was wearing. If she didn't agree with it or it didn't complement her outfit, I had to change. Mind you, she doesn't look at anyone else's clothes but mine. She wanted to start dressing like me. There were times when she'd say change and she'd make people run out and get that dress in her size. I was a human Barbie doll. Um, and there was... Um, she says it was the worst job she's had in 25 years in show business. Um... She says uh, she thinks a lot of the issues that Barbara Walters had was because she was retiring and she didn't want to retire. Um, and this was during the time when The View was trying to push away from politics and they were getting into more of like the pop culture stuff. And Jenny said that she talked about, she said something about Katy Perry dating John Mayer. And when they went to commercial, Barbara Walters looked at her and said, who are you talking about? Why are you talking about this person? And then producers went up to her and said, I was told. We cannot do pop culture anymore because she doesn't know who these people are. I panic because I don't consider myself a political person. My controversy is in vaccines. I know I'm not talking about that every day. Where do I stand on all the social and political issues? And um, I can't find the story now, but there was a story about how when one day she had just started and there was a tampon floating in the toilet. Um, And Barbara Walters went up to her basically in an accusatory way and was like, um, why is there a tampon in the toilet? And Jenny McCarthy was like, um, you know, and she just went and and flushed it, you know, to keep the peace. Um. And there's a story about Whoopi Goldberg. And there's a story about Whoopi and um, Barbara that I think is really interesting. Uh, Again, Jenny says, The table reminds me a little bit of a survivor. There was a war between Barbara and Whoopi about Barbara wanting to moderate. This is one of the reasons I decided not to ally myself with Whoopi. It broke my heart when Barbara would shuffle to Whoopi and say, can I, pl- can I moderate, please? And Whoopi would say no. 
and it it's not surprising because Whoopi is paid to moderate. Um, I and you, you know we don't know Whoopi's side of the story. Um, there could be a reason why Whoopi said no. Maybe producers told her to say no. Um, you know, and and you did make a good point that nobody would be there without. Nobody would would have been there without Barbara Walters. But there's a reason why she was retiring at the end of the year. Um, you know, and Ginny herself says, um, I felt there was a little bit of hope. I thought maybe when Barbara leaves, the ratings will go up because they kept saying the focus groups hated Barbara and that's why they were forcing her into retirement. And here's the thing. That is a bombshell statement right there. I mean, the whole Jenny McCarthy thing is kind of big. Um, people are... Um, we're really focusing earlier on the the tampon incident. But no one's ever actually talked about the fact that Barbara was forced into retirement. It was on the gossip blogs. Um, Crazy Days and Nights had it. But for the most part... It's been all very low-key um, and so, sticking to the outer edges of the gossip blogs that Barbara Walters was actually forced into retirement. Um, and the reason, according, and this is according to Crazy Days and Nights, is because she was starting to suffer from um, Alzheimer's and dementia. Obviously, no doctor is going to come out and say that, because, especially one that is treating um, someone like Barbara Walters, but that is what was being said. I don't know if we'll, we'll ever know the truth about this or not. But what I do know is it's time for me to go. Thank you all so much for listening. And until... The next episode, I'm lifting my martini glass and saying, cheers.